Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with EstroControl from Happy Mammoth. EstroControl contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including EstroControl. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. This is Including You, the new series from Lead at Any Level. Including You features stories from chief diversity officers and other executives who are creating inclusive cultures in their organizations. Our goal is to show what's working in companies just like yours, to give you the tools you need to keep pushing for progress in your own workplace. We want to create belonging and opportunity for everyone, including you. And now here's your host, Amy C. Wanninger. Welcome back to Including You. I'm your host, Amy C. Wanninger. This week, my guest is Dr. Rachel Muredzwa, MSW. She is the Director of Equity and Inclusion of the Ohio State University College of Nursing. The university aims to create unrivaled experiences that bring together expertise, ideas, and resources that improve communities locally and globally. And if the Ohio State University College of Nursing sounds familiar to you, it's because you've been watching or listening to the show for a while. And you may recall that Dr. Angela Alston from the same school was my guest on episode 15, way back in whenever episode 15 was, maybe, I don't know, October. I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Alston's colleague, Rachel, to the show. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. Thank you. Thank you. I am so excited to talk to you and get your perspective on the amazing things going on in the OSU School of Nursing. So let's start with, because it's been a little bit since I talked to your colleague, let's start with why, from your perspective, is inclusion such an important component of the curriculum and the staffing and the work being done at the OSU College of Nursing? That's a great question. So I think nurses are obviously maybe not obviously, but we like to brag (laughs) that they're the most trusted profession year after year in public opinion polling. And it's because of the patient care that they provide. So I think inclusion as it relates to patient care is the most vital thing to spotlight here. Nurses interact with patients from tremendously diverse backgrounds, people who have diversities in visible and invisible ways. And I think that having culturally competent And culturally curious nurses is really essential for the workforce of nursing today, given the demographics of the patient populations. Uh, Here in central Ohio, we're 
blessed to have tremendous diversity in terms of race, ethnicity, national origin, and language, just to name a few. We're, I think, very particularly placed to make a great impact on health equity. So the patient care piece is huge. If our students are really learning from each other with their own diversities, they're encouraged through the curricula to stay curious and to always be a continuing learner, and obviously are getting the clinical practice that they need and are able to navigate that very successfully, either through caring for diverse populations or maybe even having diversities themselves that end up being essential to the work environment. I think that's really what's important. Obviously, we also need innovation that comes from people from all backgrounds feeling free to contribute their ideas in a place that has high psychological safety and that is well-resourced as well. And so I think that having that inclusion at the forefront really makes us a better institution just because it makes us better humans. <laughs> so yeah, that's really what I see it, to, to hopefully give you the Cliff Notes version <laughs> of inclusion in a college of nursing like ours. Living Corporate is brought to you by Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program. It's incredible. Okay, so first off, you didn't know, Rosetta Stone is a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They have fast language acquisition, meaning you're actually going to pick up the language because it's going to provide an immersive experience for you through their program. Speech recognition gives you a trainer for your accent. Convenient, right? You can use it on your computer. You can use it on your phone. Incredible value. Lifetime membership has all languages for any and all trips or language needs in life. That's lifetime access to 25 language courses Rosetta Stones offers for 50% off. That's a steal, y'all. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, living corporate listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com backslash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com backslash today, today. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And I think that when you talk about nursing being the most trusted profession, and I've seen these studies because I did some work with someone who does work with nurses and she does deep listening work with nurses. And so much of not just what hospitals do and how hospitals run and how they function are based on the nursing staff. And so much of the patient experience is based on nursing staff, but also a lot of people don't know this, the way hospitals get paid is a lot of times based on how well did the nurse listen to the patient, how much of a connection did the nurse make with the patient, and did the nurse make the patient feel comfortable and welcome? Yeah, having having a access to students, I work with students at, at graduate and undergraduate levels, and I really get to see how... Uh, quickly, they get exposed to the clinical skill sets of the working nurses that they are, are with in their healthcare teams, obviously other professionals too. It's very interdisciplinary, but it's just, it's so remarkable to watch them develop really in leaps and bounds because that's the pace that they have to <laughs> move at in order to be ready to be a registered nurse themselves in short order. Uh, it's absolutely essential that we have folks who are there always listening and learning and filling in gaps in knowledge for the rest of the healthcare team. I'd say, and maybe in a biased way, that nurses and social workers are probably folks who spend some of the most time with patients, especially in some critical care settings and having folks who are just very comfortable with their fellow human beings and being nurses too, I think is just 
it's really just good business, <laughs> I think, to your point about billable services and things of that nature. And just also avoiding things like um, unfortunate outcome. We really have folks' lives in our hands in, in, in the healthcare professions. Absolutely. And the notion that not everybody goes in for medical treatment or to a medical practice or to seek medical help under the same conditions or with the same knowledge or with the same access or with the same experience or history or trust level that others might go with. So I think that it's really important that nurses from all backgrounds understand that even within the most trusted profession, there's still people who will reserve trust and may not give you the whole story or may worry that they're not being heard. Absolutely. And there's obviously historical basis for a lot of maybe population level mistrust or specific populations. We, I think too, just have the class differential. If we're talking about different class experiences and how they inform a comfort with even just engaging with institutions as a whole. And the access issues are huge. We could spend (laughs) hours just dissecting the ways in which that provides, I think it just provides so much unnecessary uh, tension in the system when people can't even come for care once they're there, the things are cost prohibitive. And there's only so much that our frontline staff can do. They can definitely educate, they can comfort, but it's really a systems-wide approach that we find is required for health equity to be delivered. Honestly, I think that nurses are well-positioned and a lot of other frontline service folks are too, to to being able to push policy. That's one of my favorite things I like to think about regarding true inclusion, because when you can make these macro-level rules, (laughs) then you can, and you have resources to back those policies, you can really make a see change across a profession like nursing. So let's talk about that a little bit. What are some of the policy changes that you or that your organization or that your nurses are seeking to enact or have enacted that you feel like have really moved the needle, so to speak? I guess move the needle is a little bit different in a nursing context than everywhere else, because when people think of needles in nursing, it's a little bit different, (laughs) but that, that have really gained some traction or led to more equitable outcomes in your opinion or your experience. I should probably maybe recenter on my wheelhouse, given that diversity, equity, inclusion is its own just multiverse of policy opportunities. And so the narrow focus perhaps is because I'm rather proud of some of the accomplishments that not only our institution, but I think a lot of other uh, nursing education spaces have made in recent years around holistic admissions and being able to reduce the barriers to entry for some folks who maybe unnecessarily (laughs) were dissuaded from applying to colleges of nursing because of the heavy focus on grades and the heavy focus on being just a rock star in terms of academic performance. It's no secret that we, as well as some other competitors and friends, are a selective college of nursing. And so we really wanted to be able, several years ago, to make sure that we've got a whole, an admissions policy that's going to be able to be more welcoming and honestly just be more responsive to the needs of spaces where working nurses would be so valuable. So we're really looking, we're looking for well-rounded people. We're looking for leaders. So let's incentivize those folks to actually become a part of the workforce by valuing that, by asking about that, by 
having interview processes and personal statements or essays and things of that nature that contribute to a holistic assessment of an applicant, whether they're a traditionally aged graduating high school student or whether they're someone coming into one of our master's level graduate entry type programs, they've gotten a whole other bachelor's and maybe other advanced degrees in some other field. And then they're saying, you know what, nursing is for me. So here I come to the Ohio State University College of Nursing. So I, I think that's a tremendous, that's a tremendous necessity these days that everyone have a holistic admissions process. I think it's also really crucial to examine whether or not I'd say institutions of higher learning are in their administrative heart and soul aware of all the, the cost barriers to their students persisting because we can do all the sort of pomp and circumstance of welcoming students to our wonderful colleges and universities and doing a great job on the on recruitment and but it's also about retention so having good retention services having a good finger on the pulse <laughs> healthcare pun but having a good sense of how our students are doing every step of the way. I think that's very much my, I am very interested in building capacity when it comes to those kinds of student supports. But yeah, so I think the policies that really involve welcoming people in, helping them be successful, and then we can get them out there into the workforce. And they can do whatever they want, obviously. If we've taken great care of them while they've been students with us, these are our future sometimes congressional representatives. There's plenty of nurses right now who are involved in shaping legislation across the nation, state and federal levels. So yeah, that's, I think that's where I would say things can keep developing strength and momentum. I'm really interested in this, this notion of holistic admissions and really nurturing the nurses through the program because we're seeing nationwide a nursing shortage. We're mm -hmm. seeing people leave the profession in droves because of the pandemic and all of the challenges that have come with and followed in the wake of kind of the, the more acute pain of the pandemic, but now it's like, there's some lingering, yeah. just economic and social forces that are working against women of color in particular, black women, especially. And at the epicenter of all of that is nursing as a profession, right? Where it's, they've, nurses have seen the most hostility, the most stress, the most burnout in the last few years. And so this notion of getting people in and retaining them in the program so that we can fill some of these positions where people have either left or retired or need a break, I think is just, it's not only critical for the school, but it's really critical for the infrastructure of our country. I think so. Yeah. If we, if we took a really sober look <laughs> at the lived experiences of nurses day in and day out, I can say for myself, like they are some of the strongest human beings that I've ever encountered because of how they necessarily have to be giving and giving and giving and giving for such even long periods of time. Let's just talk about time and effort in terms of shift length. And I think that when we, perhaps with a, maybe a bit of a futuristic lens, <laughs> maybe <laughs> if we with a futuristic lens can look at the next, let's say 30 years because that's the kind of length of career that some of the nurses who are leaving, because everything just came to such a head with the pandemic and other tremendous stressors on our society, on our globe as a whole. If we're talking about, let's look to the future and see what kind of healthcare we really want to be sustainable for the next 30 years or so, it's that we're going to have to do a better job of caring for the hopes and dreams of middle schoolers and high school students who think that they can go out there and be helpful 
They maybe are seeing people in the world who need healthcare. They maybe themselves are experiencing family health issues. They may have health concerns of their own. They may be precociously brilliant, like a lot of the young people that I get to meet around the city of Columbus in thinking about ways to change the world for the better. And those of us who right now are sitting in decision-making spaces, my office included, as Dr. Alston and I think about the work, we really have to build the world that they're going to succeed in because they're not at the point where they're administrators for recruitment and retention. So who else is going to do it? And so I think that it, right now is such a great, it's such a great opportunity. There's sometimes crisis leads to opportunity and that's what we have right now. That's a huge reason why when things started opening up again after the sort of the worst of the pandemic, definitely post-quarantine lockdown, my focus really was on expanding our partnerships with local high schools because in many ways, there was a bit of a educational equity fallout that came from organizations not being able to interact with young people as much as they would like to for career development and professional development or just helping the kids dream into a space that they maybe didn't know they had access to. And Ohio State University continues to be obviously a major anchor institution within Central Ohio, but we have amazing young people just right on our borders. <laughs> we have folks who are right off campus who are being prepared in excellent STEM education and so forth. And these are from our public schools. Yeah, I just think that there's such a value right now to really taking like maybe four deep breaths and saying, what can we do to invest in the capacity for the near future? If we have, we can look at the numbers and see, we can forecast how many folks are potentially going to just be retiring. It's not about the burnout and the pandemic-related fallout. It's also just about the natural process of generational turnover. And so we're just at a really critical point to make it so that those maybe graduating eighth graders, <laughs> those are going to be our nurses in the very near future. We, we can train a wonderful Buckeye nurse in, in four years at Ohio State. So we took it 18 year old to a 22 year old and they're ready to go. So this is, this is, everything is now right now for us to build a future that we want for our healthcare system, especially for our nurses. This podcast, Living Corporate, it's brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether you're just starting out or managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website engage with the audience and sell anything from products to content to time all in one place on your terms. Let me tell you something. Y'all might not know this, but living corporate, we started our whole journey on Squarespace. My website, Zachary It's on Squarespace. I can't tell you how much I appreciate its fluid engine, the ability to create world-class templates and design. It's very intuitive, incredible. We have custom merch through our Squarespace. We have an incredible asset library, so I can always mix it up, switch and swap. It's super dope. And the fact that you can host all types of content, video, audio, all types of media, you can put all on your Squarespace. I can't recommend it enough. If you want to learn more about Squarespace, check out squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com backslash corporate 
to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. What kind of results are you seeing as a result of your policy shifts around admissions and retention? Are you seeing are you seeing increased retention rates? Are you seeing an explosion of applications? What are the what does that look like in terms of impact and results? Uh, in terms of applications, I don't know that we'll in the near future ever have an, an issue with just the amount of folks who are interested in nursing. We, like many other schools, have a tremendous number of folks who come to us each year wanting to at least get into our BSN program, which is the one I'm most familiar with, our Bachelor of Science in Nursing. I think an immediate shift that's happened due to the normalization, acceptance, and operationalization of a holistic admissions process is that we within our own college have a expanded community of folks who review the students. And so it's faculty, which is traditional and expected and very essential for maintaining the level of know-how <laughs> in terms of what kind of nurses we want to see in, in our cohorts each year. And there's also staff. And so that to me has been a great inclusive effort in terms of incorporating the diverse perspectives of folks who, like myself, are not working nurses and never have been, but who are very much, they can give you the healthcare consumer perspective and have obviously worked around these students and also have supported faculty and collaborated with faculty enough to know some of the ropes <laughs> and really just the kind of students that we're looking for. Again, like those well-rounded, excellent students in terms of their people skills and their your ability to get those grades, to be able to be consistently helpful and resilient under challenging circumstances and things of that nature. But I think that's been really, that's been really nice to see that us having holistic admissions required quite a bit of a, a all hands or more hands on deck, if you will. I do think that there are shifts in the number of minoritized students that we're seeing year to year. It's still a relatively recent system that we've implemented, and we're always involved in quality improvement of it. So I'm thinking trend, trends are giving me a sense of optimism. We do, we do still have very much, we do very much have the constraint of just the class size. And that's understandable really for the fact that we're not just adding on seats and there's more sections of like sociology 101 that they can take. It's that we are placing students uh, quite early in their nursing education in clinical placements. And so there's a lot of interlocking pieces that make it more than just a notion to just say, let's just admit more nurses. We're really trying to just build the class that we have. We're trying to diversify within a constraint. And we've gotten a long, we've gotten a long way to getting a good process <laughs> going. I'd say too that it's helped normalize the number of, it's actually increased the number of people who are confident and feeling, I would say people who are feeling capable of picking up a mantle of DEI when they need to. It's not just the small group of folks who might be interested in making sure the process works and like we can get all the forms in and we can look at all the spreadsheets and make sure we are doing the admissions process well in terms of just the mechanics of project management. It's more that it's the culture of talking about diversity and people realizing their own implicit bias, people realizing their own implicit bias limitations because we all have them. Anyone who has a 
like a cognition enough to be absorbing information about the world around you as it pertains to yourself and other human beings has implicit bias. These are Rachel Muredzwa's unfiltered bias facts and opinions today. But (laughs) I think that it's really the case that we've, through conversations over and over again, have unburdened ourselves of the illusion (laughs) that we just automatically are like, great, and all people are welcome and everything's great. And we don't have any reason to judge anyone. And it's like, no, let's do the, let's do the necessary deep. And sometimes, oftentimes, really, if it's not uncomfortable work, I don't know that we're doing it right. Um, the uncomfortable work of delving into bias and delving into implicit bias and the neuroscience behind it, the evolutionary basis for it and say, let's retrain our brains. Let's us as a community consider perhaps like some opportunity in engaging and admitting students who are not fitting what our previous biases said in terms of what makes a good nurse. So it's really exciting. Yeah. When you talk about expanding the pool of people who are reviewing and discussing applications, one of the one of the tools or one of the tips that I always give my clients when they're talking about hiring is expand your selection team. Because the more narrow your selection team, the more bias is going to creep into those decisions. And no one will notice because likely you're going to share the same biases. And so those assumptions will be taken as fact. But when you start to pull in people from different departments or people with different lived experience or people with a different educational background or just whatever the differences are in in that group, as as many Mm -hmm. diverse viewpoints as possible, then people can say, I don't see it that way. I have a different perspective on that. What if we thought about it this way? And then a discussion happens where a decision would have been made without even recognizing the decision had been made before. Now we can have a discussion and make an informed decision, right? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. If there's 12 people just like me and we're all part of a committee <laughs> and we're primarily thinking about like the populations that look like us, sound like us, come from where we come from, and we happen to have a, even a majoritized uh, experience. So it's not just that we're niche minoritized folks who are like, whew, okay, here we are and we're really going to focus if we have the majoritized experience, and I'm obviously talking about an alternate universe than what I currently experience here in central Ohio, but just for the sake of the rough analogy, then there's just such a, there's such an opportunity for me to just be subtly and explicitly a fan of anyone who reminds me of myself. (laughs) Or we can all look around the table and say, hey, we're just reading the same applications. And don't we love these applicants? We just do. There's just something about them. And that's the process. The the process is saying, what is it? What is the something about them? Because it is something. We need to start putting names to it. We need to talk about affirmation bias. We need to talk about halo effect. We need to unpack all of this. And we do. That's part of the even the training process for our selection committee is not just a one come all, it's come on, come all, get some training, and then we'll do some practice. <laughs> and we'll really get down to the work of even keeping each other accountable. I think that's one of the great things I've enjoyed about the community that I'm in here at the College of Nursing is that when it comes down to it, like we can actually talk about tough things and we can disagree and we can then learn from each other and then also say i see what you i see what you were saying now i have shifted my perspective like what <laughs> how refreshing but that's because it's an inclusive environment and you know and frankly there are people who have been in healthcare teams for a long time in matters of life and death and they're not shy to speak up <laughs> if it's just that serious we have to talk about this 
And in nursing, yeah. it is a matter of life and death sometimes. It is. It in is, a lot of is. professions, they can't say that. If no. we're building software for accounting software, or we're building widgets or a lot of times like people get really wrapped up in their jobs and they feel like the pressure is high, Yeah. but nurses really are making life and death decisions about who gets yeah. seen, who gets treated first. How do you triage? Who's... Who do you run to first if two people are calling for help? And these can be very quickly life or death decisions. So I think having a cultivating nurses in an in an environment where people are able to have difficult conversations, people are able to examine and pull apart and reconfigure and realign is critical to having nurses who can do that once they graduate. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's a real, it's just a communication skill set that works for a lot of things. And it's the same in quite a few helping professions that, especially ones that operate in crisis settings. I've learned a lot from people who <laughs> do like hostage negotiation, even it's like, how do you talk to people when all the emotions are heightened, people are feeling defensive, and there's just a lot of tension and stress and an overwhelm at times too. And I think that's the thing that I'm just, I'm just intrigued by, interested by. I think like any great leader that I respect has a tremendous ability to communicate about tough things right when it's happening live right now. We are in a situation. Let's talk about this and say what it really is. And we can get to a feeling of relief after we do what we need to do right now. So yeah, that's, and I think that's important to actually have again, the psychological safety to speak speak one's mind and also to feel like when I speak my mind, it's very likely that I'll actually be heard. People may indeed reflect what I said to me (laughs) through their own synthesis and acknowledgement. And that's, it's vital. I think this is what's part of building a truly inclusive, dare I say, multicultural, cosmopolitan, eclectic, even future-focused society. And, and, and we can do it in one-on-one conversations and in committee meetings. Yeah, Absolutely. And it also occurs to me when nurses are talking to patients, it's when patients are their most vulnerable no. uh, because it's not just, and it, and I, I get really wound up about this. I'm sorry, but no. when I go in, I'm an educated person, right? Yeah. And when I go to a doctor, there is all other things being equal. If I went into a woman, a white woman doctor Mm -hmm. with a white woman nurse, all other things being equal, I'm still at a disadvantage because there's a knowledge gap. But then you add to that, that there's usually some social distance between me and the people treating me or between a provider and a patient. Mm -hmm. And then like in the case of nurses, let's not forget that like a lot of times when we're talking to nurses, we're pretty much naked. Yeah, literally, you're in a thin hospital gown, you're exposed, you don't like physically you're exposed and psychologically you're exposed and emotionally you're exposed. And having people who can have difficult conversations, but make you feel like it's an easy conversation. That's right. Is so critical because a patient who's in crisis, who feels vulnerable, who feels like an outsider, who doesn't know what's going on, needs to have things explained. All of that is handled by a culturally competent, caring nurse. That's right. Yeah, we. I like to say all the time to students, mostly students who I speak with, like we're, they, <laughs> we as helping professionals, they as nurses are often meeting people on one of the worst days in their life. I don't know if folks consider going to the hospital to be recreational or something that they plan to do for fun. I've seen it. 
experienced it myself is this is not a good day and I'm not having a good time. And maybe there's some preventative care that's being done, let's say in some, some clinic settings and things of that nature. Maybe there's some wellness coaching. So it's not just, it's not one, it's not one reason, one mood only, but the students nod their heads when I say that. They know what it is to be on the floor and be with all the nurses and to see the patients and to be working with the, the other folks on the healthcare team, the physicians, the rehab. I mean, it's just the social workers, people who were just wheeling them around, patient care associates and things like that. They know they're not meeting bright, shiny, smiling, doing cartwheels down the hallway, happy people. So if we're meeting people on their worst day, then what is it that we are going to do, be prepared to do as human beings to comfort that person, inform that person, and also be exquisitely patient with that person? Because most science that I understand, just from the implicit bias side of things, is that we will have folks who are moving very fast in the healthcare setting. They have so many patients. They are themselves tired and hungry, maybe frustrated. They've already been yelled at a couple times that day, whatever the case is. And if they're not monitoring and caring for their own communication <laughs> abilities, the shortcuts in their brain that say, I'm completely overwhelmed and under threat are going to quickly move through patient care. It's going to end up being patient care in quotations because it's just not, it's not their best. And so I think when we focus on training in implicit bias, in implicit bias mitigation, really asking people to be mindful, to take their time, to, to take their time, even when there's no time to just simply take a breath. Go ahead. Okay. So the, so I think that there can be so much done to just calm down the mind when you can just take a breath and you can be walking through a frantic hospital floor. You can be potentially onto your next crisis, but to just be able to deescalate the body <laughs> enough for the mind to think more clearly. I think it's tremendously important. And it's one of the things we focus about here, focus on here at the College of Nursing around wellness and mindfulness and being able to take care of one's body throughout the day. Folks who have access to standing for some time, like nurses, you should really take care of their entire selves. And so I think that's a that's another really significant part of probably just preventing burnout throughout one's career is just personal wellness habits, both mental, physical, emotional, social, not both, but inclusive of all of those arenas. <laughs> and I'm sure that starts in school because there's a lot of pressure in school to perform. And there's a lot of pressure if you're working your way through school, especially, which a lot of us have to do or taking on debt or dealing with family obligations, even during school. There's a lot, there's a lot of it needs to be built into that process as well to retain the nurses in the program to begin with, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that the program is so rigorous and it's not different from many other professional preparation programs that ask a lot of someone's body, mind, and spirit. We definitely see even within our student populations that we have to mitigate burnout because we have students sometimes who, let's say, come from backgrounds and financial circumstances where they can't just only do school. <laughs> and I think as student support staff, we need to think of really creative ways to give them stress relief opportunities. I know I have colleagues in counseling spaces and in 
I want to say the student affairs side of things, even within our college, who make sure that we're doing things like bringing in therapy dogs and having and like a de-stressing session or not de- not distressing, but we'll bring in things like stress relief sessions. We might have some like coloring pages or some snacks available at midterms or finals and things of that nature. And I think that's just, it's, I think just treating people like the full humans that they are, even we don't necessarily even have to have a big, long, deep conversation about it, but we're available for that to just say, isn't it nice that someone just thought to give you some snacks? Isn't it nice that we just thought to put something festive or novel in your environment each day where you're not just going from ping-ponging from class to clinical to anything else that you have going on in your life? So yeah, it's, I think wellness, I think wellness has to be part of a more inclusive culture because we're really we don't know what people have on their minds, who they are thinking of, in addition to all the things we're asking of them, what their outside of school life is. And that can be at the, the, the very onset of college. And it can also be all the way through folks completing their doctorates in nursing practice. <laughs> so it just doesn't stop. I don't know if it's strange news to deliver that nursing is not an easy path to navigate. <laughs> this is, it's not a simple profession. Rachel, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise and your thoughts and your insights and your world according to Rachel with us, because I think it's, again, I think it's so important to have multiple perspectives, even within, you know, the Office of Diversity and Inclusion within the College of Nursing, because it's all those different perspectives that really bring the ideas together that need to bubble to the top and that I'm sure make your program exceptional. Oh, I really appreciate that, Amy. It's been lovely to talk with you and I'll just share some of my thoughts about the work thus far. <laughs> Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow Lead at any level on LinkedIn and YouTube. Then join us for Including You video simulcast every Thursday at noon Eastern. Including You can also be enjoyed each week as part of the Living Corporate Audio Podcast Series, available on all major podcast platforms. Learn more at living-corporate.com. Including You is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a boutique training and consulting firm improving employee engagement and retention for companies that promote from within. Lead at Any Level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. Lead at Any Level and its logo are registered trademarks of Lead at Any Level LLC. The views and opinions of guests on our show do not necessarily reflect the positions of Lead at Any Level, Living Corporate, or the sponsors of Including You. That's it for this week's episode of Including You. Be sure to join me next week when my guest will be Jewel Love from Black Executive Men.